thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Raven, concentrate on Sim. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor, and the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch, the lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 381. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Supernatural. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, it's October, if you're listening to this when these episodes come out. And, as always, we turn our thoughts to Halloween and try and find some spooky show to discuss and share with our listeners. And today we have Supernatural, a series of eight 50-minute television plays from the BBC in 1977. And we probably should mention up front, Brian, don't get this confused with the American show Supernatural, which is long running and very successful and has a huge fan community, I think. Yes, this is completely unrelated to the American show that you may know. Instead, this show is created by a writer called Robert Muller to tell us a series of original and highly gothic spooky stories. Absolutely. And they include a shared framing device which introduces and concludes each episode and allows for a bit of narration. And they have a great cast of British television actors from that time, from the late 70s. Yes. How often do we say it recently, Brian? Another show with a stunning cast. Yes, it's been lovely to talk about some great casts recently. So the setup for this show is based around the Club of the Damned, which is a late Victorian or possibly Edwardian gentleman's club. It is, and it starts off each story because... After dinner, the members of the Club of the Damned draw near to the fireplace to tell each other spooky stories. And if you want to join the club, prospective new members must tell a story and it must then go to the membership to decide if the story is frightening enough for them to gain admission to the Club of the Damned. And I did read in one of the reviews the suggestion that if your story wasn't successful uh, something quite horrible might happen to you, although I don't think we got to see that particularly, or at least not I can remember, Brian. We did get to see some of that. There was a reference, I believe, at the beginning to the ser- of the series that the penalty for not having a scary enough story was a penalty of death. Wow. And we do see someone, yeah, we do see someone taken off with, we don't see anyone being killed, but we see uh, a very strong indication that that is what's happening. Oh, right. There's me missing that one completely. But we begin with a distinguished actor in both senses taking his place in a storyteller's chair. Yes, absolutely. We'll go through the individual episodes here. Ghost of Venice. 
This was broadcast on the 11th of June, 1977, with Robert Hardy starring, playing an aging thespian, this stage actor, who is haunted by something that happened during a performance of Macbeth in Venice. And he has returned to Venice many years later to put his old ghosts to lay them to rest to deal with this trauma from years ago. And he meets with an old friend who is the chief of police who has different recollections of what happened back at that time. And we get the questions of who is haunting who and who is a ghost and who is alive and so on. And we're off with our first story and a haunting episode in Venice, as you say, Brian. Yes, absolutely. The next two stories are sort of linked. Countess Ilona, broadcast on the 18th of June, 1977, and then a week later, the Werewolf Reunion on the 25th of June. And these are the only stories that are linked by more than the framing device. Billy Whitelaw plays the Countess of the title, who has invited three former sort of lovers to dine with her at her remote castle. And they start to explore the question of how the Countess's husband met his untimely end. And of course, without too many spoilers, but there is a clue in the title, some strange creature appears to be haunting the night and stalking these visitors to the castle. A couple of tales linked together, and um, again, it's some gothic archetypes, I guess, Brian? Yes, absolutely. I would say that Countess Ilona and the Werewolf Reunion are a two-parter in this. It's sort of one larger story. And in addition to Billy Whitelaw, we have people like Ian Hendry and Edward Hardwick as well. So we have a really interesting cast here. We do indeed. Mr. Nightingale was the following week, still running along here. This is now July 2nd, 1977, with Jeremy Brett playing the title character as a rather timid gentleman staying with a group of friends in Amsterdam. But there is a mysterious stranger who looks exactly like him, but behaves very differently. And there are sort of Jekyll and Hyde style themes in here and elements of demonic possession type stories as well. So interesting and again, very gothic with a lot of these familiar ideas. And of course, Jeremy Brett. I'm going to say, Brian, probably most people's favourite screen Sherlock Holmes, possibly, certainly on television. Well, I think he's my favourite, but yeah, that's favourites for that vary, but he definitely was a remarkable Sherlock Holmes in the 80s and 90s with some well-remembered series. So the fifth episode is called Lady Sybil, 9th of July, 1977. Catherine Nesbitt plays Lady Sybil. She is an elderly widow living with her two sons, played by Denham Elliott and by the playwright and actor John Osborne. Lady Sybil is convinced that at night a stalker prowls their house. But of course her sons think this is just an elderly delusion and try to convince her otherwise. 
But of course, the story will tell us what happens if she may actually be right and something awful is stalking the night and the home of Lady Sybil and her sons. Yes, again, another interesting cast and interesting sort of ideas with a lot of tension between those characters. So also an interesting one. So we should get into our production notes. Supernatural was created for the BBC by Robert Muller. And Muller was a playwright and TV writer who wrote for Armchair Theatre and The Wednesday Play. And he also wrote for Out of the Unknown, which we've covered. He wrote a couple of Asimov adaptations, The Prophet and Naked Son. He also wrote a Cymac adaptation. His episodes are unfortunately missing, but The Prophet includes that wonderful story that it had these robots that were made for it that were then used in Doctor Who and a second Doctor story called The Mind Robber. So that's sort of a nice little connection with one of his episodes. And we were talking before we recorded, we think some off-air recordings exist of some of his Out of the Unknown episodes. But as you say, no video. It's all been wiped, sadly. Yes, some audio recordings, I think, exist and some photographs as well right and of course robert muller perhaps in our you know the shows we've covered probably best known to us for the itv series that ran from 1966 to 1970 called mystery and imagination and we've picked out a couple of episodes in the past particularly the one where he adapted frankenstein in 1968 which we really enjoyed because I think partly because or mainly because of Ian Holm playing that dual role of both Frankenstein and his creation a real sort of duality it brought to the adaptation and that one I seem to remember we really enjoyed Brian yes we did and the writing in it was also very good so credit to Muller there It did a nice job of bringing the novel to television rather than looking at the sort of later mythos that had been established by then and did a very nice job of making that very complex, sprawling novel work for television for this 19, you know, a 1960s production. Now, Muller was looking at television drama and thrillers, particularly of the time in the 70s. And I think this was somewhat of a reaction to what he saw as a tendency towards gore and blood and explicit violence in TV shows. And he wanted to make a series that went back to the sort of gothic tales explored in a lot of 19th century literature, but also in the films of the 1920s and 1930s. So I guess... We know the 70s, there were some sort of brutal action films and television. And this is somewhat of a reaction, I think, Brian. Yes, I think so. There were a lot of sort of bloody looking horror films and things at that point. I think because they were able to do that by that point, where they often weren't able to do it earlier. But Muller wanted to look back at some of these things where it was what you don't see that's scary rather than what you do see. And he admired this idea of the club where people told spooky stories 
that was used in some of the amicus portmanteau horror films from the 60s. So some of these ideas were coming from different places, but he definitely wanted to use that idea of the things where it was the things that are alluded to that you don't see that are most scary. And also these sort of gothic ideas and themes from much older literature, not adapting those stories, but using those themes. And that was quite interesting. Muller wrote seven of the eight episodes. Episode six, Victoria, was written by Sue Lake. And it also should be noted that the part of Countess Ilona was written specifically for Muller's wife, the actress Billy Whitelaw. And we should just mention Billy Whitelaw. You're probably most familiar with her as the nanny who raises Damien in the original The Omen film from the 1970s, but also famous for being the playwright Samuel Beckett's muse in some ways and often appearing in first performances of his plays. And I'm guessing... She may well have appeared in a Robert Muller play on the stage, possibly. Uh, maybe that's how they met. But interestingly, a little snippet we found from the production notes is that during the production of the episodes Countess Ilona and the Werewolf Reunion, they really worked hard to keep their professional relationship as just that. So they didn't discuss it at home. And on set... Billy Whitelaw was very specific that she would take direction from the director, Simon Langton, and she wouldn't take notes from her husband at the time. Not because they were having difficult times, I think just because they felt that was the professional way to go about things, Brian. Yes, and I guess how they wanted to separate things. But I think all of that worked quite well, because those were strong episodes. And we'll just mention a couple of other directors, uh, Claude Wattam, Alan Cook, and a name that's familiar to us, Peter Sazdy directed as well. Yes, of course, we know Peter Sazdy for directing Nigel Neal's The Stone Tape in 1972. But there were also some Hammer Horror films that he directed and some Sherlock Holmes stories as well, including a 1991 TV film which featured Christopher Lee in the role of Sherlock Holmes, which I may have to track down. I haven't seen that. Uh, how fantastic that Lee played the character as well. I mean, his great friend Peter Cushing had also done some remarkable Sherlock Holmes earlier in his career as well. For Hammer, of course. Supernatural was produced for the BBC by Peter Rogers, with music by Paul Lewis, who also wrote the music for Mystery and Imagination. And that was quite atmospheric and well-used music. The production was shot on set entirely, on videotape. And that does produce some of the ghosting effects you sometimes see with certain kinds of lighting uh, and when you have candles and things like that on the videotape of that era. And it does actually look kind of spooky. So that, I felt, looked, looked okay. I quite like it when that effect turns up on our modern screens. It's very nostalgic and spooky. I mean, as you said, Brian, this was a set-based production. There's hardly any, I think, outside shots at all. Apparently there was a tiny amount of 8mm film 
filming done outside. But most of the outside stuff is actually done, I think, by a certain amount of trickery using paintings and some digital trickery to suggest locations like Venice or Amsterdam. Certainly it wasn't at all taken on, you know, they didn't go on the road or fly to any of these cities to film there. It's all suggestion and mostly set work, isn't it? Yes, it wouldn't have been digital trickery at that point, but they were using matte paintings and things like that. Yeah, camera trickery, I guess. Yes, mostly practical things with matte paintings and that sort of thing, I think. And you've mentioned the cast. We've come back to it a few times We'll be talking about a few more notables next in the next episode. But, I mean, you said Ian Hendry and Edward, Edward Hardwick, Leslie Ann Down, Sinead Cusack. We're going to see Gordon Jackson coming up. We're going to see Pauline Moran, who most TV viewers will recognise as Hercule Poirot's secretary, Miss Lemon. But, of course, famously, was the TV version of The Woman in Black. So, yeah. The cast they assemble for these eight episodes is absolutely great, isn't it? Yes, it really is. And I love the fact that they have Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick, who would go on to be Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson for many years in the 90s, I think tail end of the 80s and uh, in the 90s. They had both of them in this series, but in different episodes. And that was really neat to see. We'll mention the title sequence. Uh, Some rather gothic, appropriately, organ music played over shots of some rather gloomy looking gargoyles to give it that sinister haunting and again gothic introduction and ending i think yes i love that they went all the way on the gothic thing to use the gargoyles and organ music there and that was pretty effective i thought supernatural was broadcast in the summer of 1977 in 9:45 p.m time slot on saturday nights and we might mention that time slot when we talk about it in the next uh, episode brian yeah and the reviews sort of concentrated on what was not included the fact that you didn't have the monsters and blood and bloody violence and all this thing that you didn't have that on screen so some of them may have missed the point to some degree that that was sort of the intention behind this series was to do something that wouldn't show all of these things explicitly that would be about the storytelling and the implications and what you don't see yes (laughs) muller's point Perhaps missed at the time. Perhaps. And it had that original broadcast on the BBC, and it was eventually released on DVD, as we'll get to in uh, in a couple minutes. I am not aware of any other broadcasts or any international distribution. It may have had some international distribution, but I think not very much. It was not a widely distributed or referenced series after that original broadcast. However, there was a tie-in book called Supernatural Haunting Stories of Gothic Terror, which adapted the eight episodes into text form. I believe the adaptation was actually done by somebody else. It was released as a paperback, and as a tie-in version, it had a suitably spooky picture of Billy Whitelaw as Countess Ilona on the front cover. 
I haven't picked up a copy of the book, but it was released at the time. Very interesting. So I think we should move on to availability here. So as ever, we start in Region 2, where the BFI, thank goodness, put out a DVD set of all eight episodes and an accompanying booklet in 2013 and it was to tie in with a series they were running called gothic the dark heart of film interestingly i do have the book that they put out at the same time of the same title gothic the dark heart of film by the bfi which includes articles about a number of the films and shows that we often refer to including the mention of supernatural but also things like the ghost stories for Christmas and other Nigel Neal adaptations. However, the BFI DVD, currently about £18 on Amazon. I can't find it streaming anywhere over here. It doesn't seem to be on BFI Player. But again, I need somebody who has a subscription to BFI Player to uh, let me know for sure about whether these things show up. Meanwhile, across the pond in Region 1... In Region 1, there is no release... This is not something that had a lot of distribution in North America at any time, as far as I know. The BFI DVD, the Region 2 DVD, shows up on Amazon.com from a reseller for about $48. So you may be better to import directly from the from the UK. I think this was one that I got here and sent to you in Canada, I think, Brian. Yes, I think it was. The paperback book is still available through secondhand sellers. You'll find it on eBay and other places. I haven't, as I say, tracked down a copy. As ever, if you have a copy, if you remember reading it, please do get in touch on the Gmail or the Facebook and tell us a little bit about the book version. Yes, that would be interesting to hear about the short stories that were adapted from the television production. So next time, we will talk about the other three stories that we haven't discussed yet. And we'll talk about anthology horror series on television. And of course, we'll get to our own views about how well these eight gothic tales work on television and whether we got Robert Muller's point or feel similar to some of the critics at the time. We'll get to that next time. Absolutely. Until then, you can find all of our episodes, 380-some of them, on BritishInvaders.com. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group and join us for some conversations about some of the things we cover. You might also want to join the Voice of Geeks network, where British Invaders is a proud member. You'll find all the details of the podcasts and the streaming and the gaming that they talk about at vognetwork.com the voice of geeks vognetwork.com absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much until next time it's aiming in england also signing off <laughs>